This Saturday, one of New York's longest-running comedy shows returns to the People's Improv Theater at 10.30. Gas Station Horror takes the silliest clips from the cheapest horror movies, and as soon as the scene fades out, New York's best improvisers take the stage to finish the clip in new and hilarious ways. This Saturday, the special guest is Raina Trider. Tickets are available at the pit-nyc.com, don't have to spell out the hyphen, and today's ticks, T-I-X. And don't forget, every audience member, and this is true, I can vouch for this, gets free candy. When I went, extremely funny show, we all got peppermint patties. And you have a chance to win fun prizes for free. Once again, it's this Saturday, Gas Station Horror at the People's Improv Theater at 10.30. Go check it out. It's a great show. And welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Simpsons writer Mike Reese. Mike has a new book coming out, Springfield Confidential, June 12th. It's a great read. Mike, along with Al Jean, were the showrunners for season three and four, quite arguably the two best Simpsons seasons. We talk about all of this. Those two also created The Critic. Mike created Queer Duck, another fantastic show. We talk Alf, Sledgehammer, 9 to 5, The Tonight Show, all the stuff Mike has done in his career. Mike had me over to his apartment in New York City. Super nice guy. Hope you like this conversation with Mike Reese. The book is Springfield Confidential. It's out June 12th, and you were nice enough to give me a copy, and I read it at jury duty. At jury I, duty? In lovely Bridgeport, Connecticut. So sitting in the jury pool room for a couple hours, and it getting a bunch of chuckles, and one part just struck me, and I started hysterical laughing. I had to walk out of the room. One name, Gravy Wallace. Gravy Wallace. Oh, he's glad that I got to tell that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the stuff you can only get in my book. Yeah. Things that got cut, that right. never saw the light. It didn't even, never even got typed. I think it probably got typed. Right. So Gravy Wallace was a character where uh, the writers are working away and the showrunner is out of the room and they came up with a character named Gravy Wallace who loves gravy and <laughs> that was the whole thing. He loves gravy and they wrote the whole scene and I think Al Jean walks back into the room and said, what is this? And it got cut immediately and uh, so that was it. That was the short life of Gravy Wallace and... Uh, who knows? I mean, it sounds ludicrous to tell that yeah. so Disco Stew started off as a name on a jacket. Exactly. Right. So. And we got into the jury pool room, and they were going to put me on a murder case. <laughs> and <laughs> that name was stuck in my head for the whole <laughs> afternoon, and I'm trying not to laugh in the room. Luckily, I you know gave an excuse why I couldn't serve the jury and got out. But yeah, Gravy Wallace is a great name. Also, Disco Stew, that was in the episode with George Bush, I believe. Oh, I guess it was. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because, like, Barbara Bush, who hated the show. Yes. And, you know, obviously it wasn't her voice, but she just, you know, you made her character seem very nice, and she was like the nicest lady. Which I is, think we've kind of funny. We've been nicer to the Bushes yeah. than they really deserve. They've been bad to us, they've been yeah. bad to America. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to jump all over the place here. Yeah. Obviously, the show's predicted 
an uncanny amount of stuff. <laughs> the, mo the most recent one was in the Olympics where you know, Margin uh, Homer won the gold medal in curling. Right. And the men's curling team just won. I think they beat was it Sweden or Finland? I can't remember. I'm not sure. And but I yeah, was there. Yeah. And, and so. they and they won, which was kind of fun. Obviously, you know, President Trump was it was, an, was another Trump. one. And that was just a punchline, pretty much. It was a punchline. This is the rare joke too, where everybody loves the grab credit. Yeah. No one has the foggiest idea yeah. who thought of it because it was one joke 18 years ago. And uh, but we get all this credit now for being prophets yeah. and. As far as I know, we called three things right. It's the two you mentioned, and we made a joke about Disney buying Fox. Right, which is ongoing. <laughs> right, and so so I did the math, because I go, we do 100 jokes per episode. We've done 658 <laughs> episodes, so it's about 66,000 <laughs> jokes, and three of those came true. So for every joke we get right, we get 22,000 wrong, yeah. but that still makes us... Some of the best Profit. psychics in America. Exactly, and definitely better weathermen than most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's go back to the beginning. We share a common theme. We both lived in Bristol, Connecticut. Yes, we we both survived. Yeah, we both survived, and they always joke that the best view of Bristol was in your rearview mirror. Right. Yeah. And I I have, I have great fondness for the yeah. place. It's it. Uh, I've certainly used a lot of it right. on The Simpsons. It's a small factory town. And uh, I, I mentioned in the book, everywhere you ask anyone who lives in Bristol what it's like, and they go, oh, it's like the town in The Deer Hunter. Yeah. And you never know if they mean Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, yeah. or Saigon. <laughs> but it was just, it was a blue-collar factory town, and all my friends' dads were Homer Simpson. Right, and obviously that was before, I don't want to, you know, age you or anything, but that was before ESPN came around. Yes. Completely changed the town. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then, like, you met your lovely wife, Denise. And, I did. Uh, your, your partner, your writing partner, Al Jean, at Harvard. Right? At Harvard. And still, I resent the place. Yeah. <laughs> still, still, I wish some sinkhole would open yeah. up under Harvard. Right. And obviously, those are the two best things about Harvard for you, right? That, that's the two best things. The only other thing I got out of Harvard was... <laughs> It's not a yeah. joke. I learned yeah. to eat mayonnaise. I'd never seen it before. We right. never, Jewish people, yeah. don't even know about it. And I go, this stuff is awesome. Yeah, I put a little bit in my tuna in exile. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then, like, you wrote for the, the Lampoon there. I did. Yeah, and what was that experience like? It was, well, obviously, it was life-changing. Yeah. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I I went to Harvard only because they had a humor magazine, and I never thought I'd be a humor right. writer or a comedy writer. It just appealed to me. Oh, a humor magazine. And mm -hmm. I, my first day at Harvard, I just knocked on the door said, I'm here, I'd mm -hmm. like to help. And I didn't know. It's very, very rigorous, long, hard competition. I went through it once. I didn't get on. I had to go through it again. And if I hadn't gotten on that second time, I would have left Harvard because mm -hmm. it had no other appeal mm -hmm. for me. But I got on, and that's where I met everybody I've spent the rest of my life with. It's, uh, you know, half the Simpsons staff comes out right. of the Harvard Lampoon. And it was just guys sitting around being funny. Right. That was all there was to it. We just sat and loafed and made jokes all day, and it turned out to be exactly what my career has been. Yeah, was, there, was there any, like, resistance or like you know kind of pushback from like staff at harvard if you parody them at all or? oh yeah harvard yeah. hates the place harvard right. has always hated the lampoon and the lampoon made a lot of money uh in the 70s from national lampoon magazine okay. at the time mm. 
they owned the name Lampoon and they leased it to National Lampoon as this shaky startup. And right. Then that the National Lampoon just became this this instant uh, huge success and a brand. And then they put out Animal House, House. the biggest comedy of all time. Yeah. So the money just kept pouring into the Harvard Lampoon, and uh, but but the Harvard hated them so much. We literally bribed the university. We paid protection money to Harvard every year. We would buy a piano for the concert yeah. hall, or we would we we subsidized all the other on-campus magazines, which would then attack the Lampoon. Right. So it was crummy, you know. Harvard, yeah. Harvard's like an Ivy League mafia. <laughs> now I'm sure they uh, hound you for. Uh contributions here and there right? oh you know every every 40 minutes or yeah. so yeah we'll have to get off at the end of right this. yeah or in the take middle. some more calls yeah i used to in my college work in the alumni office and they the first day i got there it's like okay here's a stack of papers to call these people i'm like i'm not calling people and i started walking i was like wait, wait 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 what if you find the numbers of the people we can't get and that was before the internet and so you had a phone book i'm like i can do that you know so like predicting the future, if I got three out of 100, 200, it was a good day. So easiest money I made, you know, fear of money in college and whatnot, <laughs> yeah. So then you and Al Jean, and there were some other big names who, who were there, right? The creative house? The creator? Oh, he was yeah. not on the Lampoon. Oh, okay. He actually, we, there's a, as, as impressive yeah. as the list the Lampoon right. alumni are, the people who tried to get on and yeah. didn't is even more impressive. Right. That's where you get... Al Franken okay. and Nell Scoville, who just wrote a great book about comedy writing, um, and Paul Adnazio, mm -hmm. who uh, I tell the story in the book. It was, well, now we've given away the punchline, but uh, the Freshman Talent Show, I, got, I was the MC. It was Al Jean. Al Jean, who I just met, I mean, it was very early in freshman year. He said, you should audition to be MC of the Freshman Talent Show. And I said, I'm not funny. Nobody had ever told me I was funny before. And uh, so I said, okay, and I auditioned, and I got I got to be MC of the talent show, and I had about ten minutes of material, and the talent show ran three hours. It was just, and right. so I'm just on my feet, babbling all this time, and at the end of the talent show, the judge comes up to me and says, "You're really funny," so, so I married her, <laughs> and uh, we've been married for thirty years. Mm -hmm. But there was one other comedian in the talent show, and it was Paul Adnazio. And, you know, he was a friend of mine. He's right. a very wry, clever guy. But, oh, he bombed so bad. <laughs> he bombed so bad that uh, that I told him, well, maybe comedy's not your mm -hmm. thing. And he went into drama and created House, and now he's worth half a trillion dollars. But he bombs <laughs> so badly that... 30 years later, I'm on the Writers Guild picket line, and I run into Paul for the yeah. first time in years, and we're with Eric Roth, I think his name is, the guy who wrote Forrest Gump. Okay. And all, you know, I go, wow, Forrest Gump, I got a million questions yeah. for Eric Roth, but all Paul Adnazio can talk about is how bad the talent show went, <laughs> and he's, he's spinning at how unfair the audience was, right. and he had to follow a guy who played Castanets, and who can do that? Yeah. Well, you don't remember the success or the failures, the failures that stick out, right? <laughs> yeah. Now it's in the book, right? Because so, I remember his whole act. I think it's going to really traumatize him. Right. Now, speaking of the book, uh, what made you decide now to, to put it out? I, uh, 
I got tricked into it. Okay. Is that, I'm glad when it's a pocket we can tell the longer story, yeah. which was a journalist named Matt Clickstein, who I'd never met. I talked to him mm. on the phone a couple of times. He called me. He called me up. He says, "Here's my plan. Mm. I'm going to book you ten lectures across America, and you and I are going to mm. drive all over the country, <laughs> and we're going to learn Mike mm. Reese's take on America, and." That'll be the book, and there right. won't even be any Simpsons in it at all. So here we are two years later. There were no lectures. I've never been in a car with Matt Clickstein, right. and the book is 90% Simpsons. And it sounds ludicrous, but of course, if he had come to me and said, well, you're going to write your memoirs about the Simpsons, i go, no way. Yeah. I don't want to do that. It's yeah. not fair for me to do it, and uh, it could get me in trouble at work. So I'm glad I was sort of... Yeah eased into it by by inches that way right and have has anyone mentioned in the book read it yet uh i gave it to al jean okay. and al jean is my best friend yeah. he's been the showrunner at simpsons for 20 years but he also has total recall and i was afraid to give it to him yeah. just because i know he would find a hundred things wrong in the book <laughs> and he didn't he liked yeah. it he uh he knows how to deal with the press he says right. Wow, you dodged a lot of minds yeah. on this thing. So I appreciated that. It meant the world to me that uh, he liked it and signed off on it. I think Jim Brooks doesn't know it's coming. <laughs> I mentioned it to Matt Groening once, so he should know, but I'll bet he forgot it's yeah. coming out. But uh, we'll see. But it really shouldn't get me in trouble. I no. tell all this. I mean, the big takeaway from the book, and you read the book, is. The one thing I learned writing it is one reason The Simpsons is such a success is it's a nice place. There is no friction. We yeah. don't fight. Everyone respects each yeah. other. It's it's like a commune, and uh, and that was it. There, I, I like there's there's just a little bit of dirt in the first ten pages, and then on page one eighty, there's a little more dirt, but mostly. It's a great, happy, funny story about how we make the show. Yeah, and which that's a lot of things that you know, you obviously Simpson fans wouldn't know, and some that they do. But what I really liked is like some of the stuff that you didn't do with the Simpsons beforehand, uh -huh. and even like you know the, the little break you took between the Simpsons. Um, Airplane two. Airplane two. Airplane two. Um, <laughs> Comedy so bad it won an award in France. Yeah. <laughs> And they totally get comedy, right? <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was sick at home, HBO would show like three or four different movies. Beastmaster was always one of them. Right. I think it was like Eddie and the Cruisers and Airplane 2. <laughs> so, and, yeah. and the Zuckers had nothing to do with that movie. Wow, <laughs> did they have nothing to do with it? They, it was, I'll even backtrack a little, which was the Zuckers brought Airplane to Harvard. They tested okay. the movie at Harvard. And it was a very rough cut, very different movie than right. what came out. So you see how much work they put yeah. into it. And then we at the Harvard Lampoon just shanghaied mm -hmm. those guys and brought them yeah. back to the Harvard Lampoon building, gave them a right. tour. And, you know, we just thought, even in this rough form, I go, this is the greatest comedy yeah. I ever saw. And then two years later, three years later, I'm working on the bad knockoff yeah. of the greatest movie <laughs> I ever saw. And they, uh, the Zuckers, you know, it's perfectly fair, but it yeah. looked a little mean. They put out a press release. Right. We have nothing to do with Airplane 2. Yeah. And then while we were making Airplane 2, 
uh, the Zuckers put out Top Secret, which right. was a big flop. Yeah, and so we were, was one of that, okay. movies, yeah. and so we were going to put out a press release. We had Airplane nothing. 2 had nothing to do with Top <laughs> yeah. Secret. But Top Secret actually winds up in the book because I rewatched, I yeah. go, this is genius. It's not, it's not really funny, mm. but it's just the strange, it's mm. two hours of jokes you've mm. never seen before. Right. It's so, Weird and watchable. Yeah, like Airplane Two had its moments. Yeah, you know, totally the whole Shatner bit. I mean, well, like I know they brought you on kind of late to write jokes for that, right? Right. They yeah. were. I, I think we were. It was just about to shoot, and Al Jean and I were in New York yeah. working at National Lampoon, and uh, we were moon, literally moonlighting. We would do the work at like ten at night in the Lampoon mm -hmm. offices, and this is pre-computer, so. We were cutting up a script and pasting it and Xeroxing pages and mailing them uh, to Hollywood. And we did good enough that when they started shooting, they brought us out to work on Airplane 2. And once it was fantastic, you know, I go from never meeting anyone famous yeah. to being on a live movie right. set. And there's the whole cast. Yeah. It was mostly the cast from the first one right. came back. But... They had us working, Al, Gene, and I, in a wooden box. It was like a garden shed made of wood, sitting on a soundstage. And it was a sweat box. Yeah. It was, you know, you would, you would punish a prisoner right. by putting him in this box. And we were on the set, and yeah. it's baking under hot right. lights. And they would open the door and say, we need six more jokes about, you know, the gay yeah. captain or something right. like that. And Al and I... And we had to type quietly. I don't even remember how we did that because we're in the stage yeah. with an old electric typewriter and just bang out material. And it couldn't have been... Everything about it was great training because yeah. we're writing a lot. We're writing under pressure. The hours were insane. The director actually moved us into his house okay. so we could work day and night with him. And then the final lesson we learned is... And then the movie came out and it was sort of a... a Fizzle, mm -hmm. you know. There certainly was no airplane three, and you know that's a great lesson to learn. Yeah. Wow, you can work really hard yeah. on something, and it can still suck. Yeah, it's hard to make a good like sequel to a comedy. Yeah, you know, I I sort of realized that at the time that there you can make a sequel to a comedy character. You can keep mm -hmm. doing Pink Panther movies right. with Inspector Clouseau. But there was no Animal House too, and God bless them, they tried yeah. and tried and developed it. They even made that awful TV show. Yes, yeah. they did that too. But uh, Airplane was a comedy about jokes, yeah. and they literally did the best they could. It was funny. It was Jeff Katzenberg, who's, who's uh, so revered now, was the head of the right. studio, and he's a very young man. And he said, well, we'll do sequels to the jokes. If yeah. it was a famous joke in the first one, yeah. we'll do a version yeah. of it. And anyone who's watched the movie side by side can see, we got the same extras back. All the <laughs> yeah. seat fillers on the airplane are the same seat yeah. fillers on airplane too. Did they try to get Leslie Nielsen back? Yes. He okay. said, no, he, you know, it was a very smart gamble. He just showed allegiance yeah. to the Zucker brothers okay. didn't do it and so they gave him the naked gun and yeah because uh, were they doing police story at that time no they oh, were that okay. they it was in the work it was or police squad I'm sorry police, yeah, police squad, squad. Yeah. in fact uh, this is funny nobody's ever asked me about yeah. all this yeah. stuff which was um they put out that press release yeah. there was bad feelings and then 
Jim Abrahams came one day to visit and say good luck to you guys and another day David Zucker came by good luck we wish you good luck and uh, the third Jerry Zucker never came by but so they you know they were trying to be nice Nice. guys about the whole thing and I'm sure there was money in it for them too I mean they were protecting their prestige but I'm sure they got a chunk of all the non-profits of Airplane 2 yeah I mean obviously it's not like the first no no offense but it, you know it had moments I mean the whole like Chad Everett you know jelly scene is great oh you yeah. love that yeah that yeah. really made us laugh yeah. too Raymond Burr is the judge oh I love that <laughs> yeah that was just imagine you know I was right. 22 meeting yeah. all these, these TV people. stars yeah. from my uh, right. childhood and they were all uh, except for Shatner of they course. were all really <laughs> nice guys right. they were very friendly Lloyd Bridges very yeah. warm guy Sonny Bono yeah. just took a shine to us. Yeah. He, he was in the movie, and right. he wanted us to he wanted us to write a Pink Panther, star, an Italian <laughs> yeah. Cluso starring right. Sonny Bono. Yeah, he was the one with the bomb attached to the briefcase and yeah. the uh, with the Rocky poster. In the he, back. <laughs> he was the bomb. He had the yeah. bomb and the bomb. Yeah, right. see, the, uh, bu- yeah. the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really know the jokes. Yeah, I know. I tell the story that the yeah. the movie when it came out, right. it just got two and a half stars right. across the board. Right. You go, and it's which is sort of what I got in college too. It was just B minus <laughs> on yeah. everything. We made a B minus movie, and then over the years, yeah. I've seen it creep up. Oh. And then uh, somebody told me you got to listen to this podcast. It's it's Quentin Tarantino raving about Airplane 2. And right. I guess he worked in a theater that would just show it. Yeah, and he loved the movie. Yeah. And the host keeps going, you mean Airplane, not Airplane 2. He goes, no. no Airplane 2. Yeah. yeah. Even at the end of the credits, it's coming soon, Airplane 3. Yes. Yeah. And that was actually written, too. I read the script. Right. I can't remember the plan. It was uh, these sort of well-known writers. It was Koof and Greenwald, and you can look them up. They okay. kids too long ago for right. me to remember what mm-hmm. they did, but they, I think they did that show Once Upon a Time or oh, Grimm. Okay. So they're still right. working. Yeah. Very talented guys, but yeah, that did not happen. Right. I felt bad for that. Yeah. <laughs> so after Airplane, is that when you went to Nine to Five? We yes. Yeah, I'm okay. glad. This is the one story that got cut from the book, so I'm, yeah. I'm glad. I'm going to tell it now, okay, whether good. you <laughs> want it or not, which was uh, Airplane 2 yeah. was sort of a dud, and Al Jean and I, we were like 22, we're living in Hollywood, we knew no one right. and had no job prospects, and we, it was just misery. And Al starts applying to business schools, and uh, uh I just didn't know what I was going to do. And all that got mm-hmm. me through the week, because these are the days before yeah. uh, before DVRs and yeah. computers or anything, right. was just you had to watch what was on TV. And everything was terrible. And Wednesday nights had a show called 9 to 5, mm-hmm. and it was based mm-hmm. on the pretty good movie. And yeah. it was just, it was literally the worst show I'd ever <laughs> seen in my life. And so I was hooked on it. It was the <laughs> highlight of my, it got, it was, Got me through hump day, was watching the worst <laughs> show on television. And then, out of the blue, I get a call. Nine to five wants to meet yeah. with you. And I go, okay. And I go in for the meeting. And they said, all right, it's about three women. And they share an apartment. And their factory makes yeah. slotted spoons. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I know. And they have a teenage son yeah. that lives on a shelf over the sink. Right. And they said... You're the first person we've ever interviewed who's watched the show. You're hired. And so Al and I got hired on this sitcom. And it was just, 
It was a terrible experience. And again, we learned a lot of bad lessons. And then I think 12 weeks into a 13-week contract, we got fired. fired. So Al and I were not good enough to write for the worst for sure. sitcom I've ever seen in my life. Was the show like canceled shortly after? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. So in fact, we went back to our old job, which was not necessarily the, the news. news. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so for a while, we were collecting right. two paychecks at once while the people who had yeah. fired us we're out of work uh, two weeks later. Yeah, that was like the first show I think on HBO I watched. Which were, oh, not necessarily the news. news. Yeah. yeah, it was a good show. Yeah. And then it came, I think, uh, First and Ten, the football show. Yeah. With O.J. Simpson. O.J., yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, but... Uh, Early HBO. The amazing yeah. thing, to write the book, Matt Clickstein said, well, yeah. we got to watch all your old stuff. And right. I don't watch anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I yeah. do it and I move right. on. And, I thought these, these not necessarily the news, it was this topical yeah. political satire yeah. show, and it holds up. 35 yeah, years yeah. later, it's still right. funny. Yeah. And Is it on DVD now? Or? No, oh, I, okay. I, as far as I know, it's completely but, lost to the ages. Yeah. Um, but it's still yeah. funny and well put together, right. and I think, I'm going to say... 11 writers from The okay. Simpsons got their first Start. TV job right. writing for Not Necessarily the News. So it's the producers. We owe them this great, great. debt. They took a gamble on yeah. a lot of young people they could exploit. Yeah. <laughs> so then one of my favorite shows also was Short Lived Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer. Yeah. The great David Rauchy. <laughs> David Rauchy yeah. is still a friend of mine, okay. lives in Brooklyn. And, yeah. and that's, that's really nice because you work on TV shows yeah. and you never see anybody again, right. but I see him. He's just such a lovely guy, and uh, he plays such a dolt and such a yeah. right wing jerk. It's so it's such it's so far from who the guy is. Right now, a show like that, I mean, because obviously the t landscape of TV is totally different now than it was then. A show like that would have been easily picked up on another network, absolutely. You know, or like Brooklyn Nine Nine just did, and it's just it's a shame because it just goes by the wayside. It is the curse of my life that yeah. <laughs> I've spent a career working on things ahead of their time. Uh, I just ran into Alan Spencer, the creator of that show, yeah. and he's trying to reboot it. Okay. And uh, they should reboot it. Yeah. It's a perfect show for this kind of TV, TV landscape. And he says it's more relevant than ever now, yeah. you know, with just the NRA so powerful right. and so much debate going on about guns. But it was. It was very, you know, after yeah. 9 to 5, I'm, I'm really happy to yeah. say I never had to work on another regular TV show again. I never had to work yeah. on a show that's just three people yeah. sitting on a couch, which is what yeah. we are right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got to work on crazy shows, and that yeah. was a crazy show where yeah. we got to write fun and satirical. Right. And then you wrote for An Alien Puppy. Yes, I did. Yeah. And I wrote... You cut, oh no! You couldn't call him a muppet. Right. Said, the word muppet was banned Man. at work. This is Alf. Of course, yeah. we're talking about Alf, which uh, I just loved it. I loved the job, and it was mm. after the experiences I had. This was mm. a show. It, what was kind of funny was the first year of Alf. You know, the show came on right. and really was a success. Right. People loved it, and but the working conditions yeah. were so miserable, and the schedule was so right. bad. Everybody quit. So the second year, they're starting yeah. from scratch, and I got hired there. And the boss, uh, Tom Patchett, mm -hmm. said, nobody can work past 7 o'clock. Yeah. 
And uh, and he he was a big scary man. He played yeah. death on an episode of Bob Newhart show. Yeah. He would come around just glaring at yeah. people. Or it's six fifty four. Right. You're going to be out of here soon. Yeah. And it's like wow, what a dream because yeah. because other TV shows you work till two or three mm-hmm. in the morning. You work Saturdays and Sunday. Yeah. So uh, that was it. He yeah. kept the hours short, and I love that. And uh, and it was fun. And I, I'm still in touch. With those people, I'm still in touch with Paul Fusco, the okay. man inside yeah. of Alf. Yeah, now, obviously, I was, what was I, 10 when the show came out? So it was catered towards, it wasn't really catered towards kids, because there were a lot of adult jokes, but yeah. you see, you'd see a puppet, not a Muppet, on, on set, so that's the drawer for the kids. Exactly. And it's a show that, you know, both kids and adults can watch. It was super, again, a very yeah. valuable lesson for Simpsons later, that we yeah. just knew... It's got a puppet on it. Yeah. Kids will watch it so we can write whatever the hell we want. And in fact, we should write it for the yeah. adults who have to sit there and watch, watch it, it with yeah. their kids. And we never held back on the writing yeah. and we tried to be satirical and it was yeah. filled with a lot of pop culture jokes, which at the time you didn't see on TV. Yeah. Now you see too many of them. Yeah, but uh, and, uh, the cartoon. Uh, yeah, there's the Alf cartoon. Yeah, yeah. You didn't do any work on that. I did not. <laughs> no, but they again, it was a good Simpsons yeah. lesson. They hired good, you know, top quality writers right. to write the Saturday morning cartoon yeah. instead of just throwing it off to yeah. a bunch of you know guys who grind right. those things. Right. Up. And then they did not. I gotta yeah. say, I hope I hope no nobody from the show hears this. Yeah. Uh, the, they didn't care about the yeah. quality of the merchandise. Okay. I, I remember they they sold something like $300 million yeah. worth of ALF merchandise, mm-hmm. which was just a, yeah. at least, you know, that's a lot of money. Right. And at the time, that was such a fortune. And it was such crappy merchandise. <laughs> I remember they grow, they bring in the ALF calendar. Right. And it was just sort of, they weren't even clever photos of ALF. Mm-hmm. It's just ALF in different poses. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have the widest right. range of expression. But I'm looking at it, I go, where's May? There was no May on the calendar. I go, and every month had 31 days. I go, you can't put this yeah. out. Right, six days a week. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they tried making a movie. They actually did make a movie, right? Project Alf or something like that. Oh, I don't know. They did a TV movie yeah. where Alf was on a military right, base, the like one. Sergeant yeah. Bilko. Yeah. And... Uh, and I think they're rebooting it. Of course. I think yes. they're rebooting because yeah. ALF has not aged the day. Yeah. But that's the current plan to reboot it. And sure, why not? Right. Reboot everything. I, of course. I like that. Just, I like the idea of my career might suddenly just start going backwards and I'll yeah. work on the reboot of ALF and then the yeah. reboot of Sledgehammer yeah. and, and nice I'll be back <laughs> in college. Yeah, it would be nice to start doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, I mean, you worked on a lot of my favorite shows. It's Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling. You know, yeah. and I heard you say before, like, everyone comes up to you and say, you know, they like it, but no one watched it. Nobody watched yeah. it. Yeah, I can't believe it. You know, that's the other story in my yeah. career. I mean, nobody, except for Alf, nobody yeah. watched any right. of these shows. Sledgehammer, which, you know, I hear about all these shows yeah. 35 years later. It's like, where were you people? <laughs> where, where, why yeah. weren't any of you Nielsen families? It's it's Gary Shandling show was fun because it started on Showtime right. where they don't care about ratings yeah. they don't care because they just they want a show to have good buzz right. and good PR and people yeah. will sign up for the service and so we thought we were the greatest show in the world and then they put us on Fox Network mm-hmm. and 
Suddenly, we were the next to the lowest yeah. rated show on TV. We were number 99 out of 100 right. every week. And I remember Alan Bell, the creator yeah. of the show, walks in one day. He goes, did you know how what a flop we are? And we go, yeah, Alan, didn't you know? He goes, I knew we weren't a hit. <laughs> Those were like, we talked about Al Jazeera before we started. Yeah. That was like Al Jazeera. It was always one of the lowest rated, if not the lowest rated network. And I forgot, we got all excited when they got to like 312. Yeah. You know, I forgot, I forgot which network. <laughs> Maybe it was like C-SPAN 8 we beat or something like that. But, but I, yeah. I, I just, I'll never forget this on Sledgehammer. It shows you, you know, what you cling to when you're working on a TV show. It was that one of the writers said, we were number 58 last week and this week we're number 57. ABC can't ignore that. And I said, I'll bet they can ignore that very easily. Right. <laughs> then with, um, Gary Shelling, it was like one of the first shows that actually broke the fourth wall. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. The, yeah, it was. Although, you know, what's funny is TV used yeah. to do it all the time. We would always say yeah. Burns and Allen did it yeah. and Jack Benny did it. And one of the amazing things, the the Milton Berle, we all hear right. about the Milton Berle show and, uh, you know, this great variety show. And it was... the. It was a huge hit, and then I think by the fourth season, mm. nobody was watching okay. Milton Berle anymore. So he made it a show about a show, mm. and so he was actually doing the Larry Sanders mm. show. The first show on TV, really, the first hit yeah. TV show, became a meta right. show, commenting on the medium. It's yeah. And I mean, the, the theme song of that show was... Look out, yeah. Yep. Maybe people just turned it off after the show. <laughs> it was a great yeah. thing. It was a very it was it was a hard show. It was a right. hard show and that again they yeah. we routinely worked till two in the morning right. on the show and uh but I always said it was fun eighty hours a week. It was yeah. a lot of fun writers right. and the premise was fun to write for. Yeah. But Gary it hit me, you know, everyone's talking about Gary with this great Judd Apatow documentary yeah. out now. It, was, it hit me, Gary was an impossible boss. Okay. And I don't mean, he was a tough boss. I yeah. mean, he was literally impossible. You, right. He wasn't a bad guy at all, but you could not please him. Because he couldn't really please himself. And so yeah. nothing appealed to him. And so you just sort of wish, I wish his career had started 20 years later because... Right. He would be a guy who should make a Netflix show where he would write every episode himself yeah. and not put other people through yeah. the turmoil of being right. Gary Shandling. Yeah, pretty much like Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that would have been great. Right. But now, I didn't mention it, uh, The Tonight Show. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, was Johnny Carson a boss like that? He, uh, he, um... I never saw him, okay. basically. <laughs> that is the answer. I think I spent, I was there a year and a half, mm -hmm. and I spent 90 minutes in right. his presence. Yeah. And uh, I tell the story that I got the job with him. You, I basically got hired off of a writing sample, mm -hmm. and they said it's pending a meeting with Johnny. Okay. And Al Jean and I go into Johnny's office, mm -hmm. which is set up exactly like the Tonight Show, <laughs> right. and we sat on a couch, and... He sat behind a desk, and we chatted for 12 minutes, which is exactly the length yeah. of a Tonight Show segment. And then he said something that made us laugh, and then he said, all right, thanks. And if he could have cut to commercial, he would have. And the reason Johnny was so great at what he did is that 
that's all he could do. Yeah. He could talk to anyone yeah. for 12 oh, minutes yeah. and yeah. and then move on. And right. uh, so it was a, it was a dark time at at the Carson show. I would say, in fact, I I happened to be there for the, the absolute nadir of okay. his 29 year run, right. just because he was going through a divorce. He was very One bitter. Of many, right? yeah. yeah, he's very unhappy then and. It was the same time Letterman had come on and become okay. the biggest hit, right. and it was the first time in his career, I think Johnny, you know, was not the king of late yeah. night TV. Um, so that was it. It was I never really saw right. the guy, but uh, he came and did The Simpsons. You know, we got yeah. him a few years later. So, and he was very affable then. Yeah. He seemed he seemed so happy not to right. be doing a show anymore. Yeah, it's a great story. I'm not going to mention in the book that what people got used to read. You got to buy the book. Buy the Springfield book. Confidential. Yeah. But the uh, the first uh, attempt to get Carson was kind of funny. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell the story okay. really quick, which is. Uh, and we had heard when he was still on the air, one of his writers was at a meeting with him, and Johnny said, "Gee, they're getting all these big stars on the t on the Simpsons. Why don't? Why doesn't anyone ask me?" So we asked them, and uh, uh, we wrote him apart on the show. By the time we got around yeah. to writing, he had retired. He left yeah. the Tonight Show. So we wrote him. I thought a really funny yeah. part where he comes on. He comes to visit the Simpsons. Yeah. And just stays and stays and stays because <laughs> he's got nowhere to go. Yeah. He doesn't have a show, yeah. and he's just a bad house right. guest. And he drinks all of Homer's yeah. beer and eats the last piece of pizza. And we never heard back. <laughs> and finally, we heard from—I'm going to say—Peter Lasalle. I think one of mm. his producers said, "Carson, Mr. Carson, was mm. deeply offended <laughs> by this part." And so. The, everyone's about ready to just give up on cars and right. we'll never get him on the show. And I said, well, let's go the other way. If he doesn't want to be a slob and emotional, yeah. let's make him a superhero. So we wrote him a part where he's singing opera and juggling a Chrysler. <laughs> and he has superpowers. And he loved that. Yeah. And he, he came right, right in and did the show and stayed for hours. Yeah. He came in, and, you know, it was 10 minutes to do his part. And he was there for two hours just so... It doubled the amount of time I right. spent with Johnny Carson when he came in to do the show. When you were in his office, you know, getting hired, did uh, after the interview, did you move down on the seat or just left <laughs> for the next guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Ed wasn't in there, right? There was no. no I never met. I mean, it shows you how cloistered the place was. Right. I, I barely met Johnny, and in a year and a half there, yeah. I never met Ed McMahon, right. never met Doc uh, Severinsen. Hmm. You know, you just it, we Al and I liked it at the time because we'd had a bunch of crazy jobs, and then this yeah. was like working in an insurance company. We would right. just come in at ten in the morning. It was a grind. Yeah. We had to write sixty jokes a day, but we were done at five because yeah. the show taped at five thirty. Okay. It was a ten to five yeah. o'clock job, normal hours, yeah. sitting in an office right. typing. We said it's so funny that. Uh, I think everyone not in show business would yeah. love to be in show business, and everyone in show business loves yeah. when they get a job that's like working in a regular office. Oh, I love yeah. it. I come in, and there's a coffee maker, right. and I get to sit in my office and punch out yeah, at the right hour. holidays. Yeah. 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 My wife's a teacher, and she doesn't not get the hours I work. Yeah. It's, it's hard, but, you know, yep. you make it work. <laughs> yeah. Now... When you were at the Tonight Show, uh, like you said, you wrote sixty jokes a day. How many of them actually made the show? It was we would write sixty, 
Um, and all the other writers mm. would write 60. So that was about 300 jokes, which got whittled down to 18 okay. jokes, of which Carson would do 12 jokes, of which <laughs> four bombed. Um, so it would be... He would only wind up with eight yeah. good jokes out of 300 right. every single day. And uh, and I just, I, I hate it. I mean, I wish they could have said, write 20 good jokes a day. But hitting 60 was just so yeah. brutal. And it, our first week on the job, we had to write a sketch about an art forger. Okay. I think they had just caught a famous art forger. Yeah. And they said, write a piece about an art forger. So we drew... We'd write 60 jokes about art forgery, and Carson threw it out. He threw out the yeah. sketch. We'd do it again. Another 60 jokes about art forgery. And I mean, and we're writing for the Tonight Show audience who knows two paintings. Mm -hmm. They know the, no, three. They know Whistler's Mother, right. the Mona Lisa, yeah. and the Last Supper, and you can't make fun of the Last <laughs> Supper. Right. So it's very, 60 <laughs> jokes. I mean, I, I think we we took five stabs at this thing. Really just, Writing Whistler's mother and Mona yeah. Lisa jokes over and over again. What was like the your most memorable bomb of a joke? Uh, I, I, it's in the book. I, yep. Springfield Confidential, yep. HarperCollins. Uh, June 12th. Yes. Um, we, again, we, we wrote a Karnak. If people remember Karnak, yeah. do the answer, then right. the question. And it was the kind of crap you write when you're writing 60 yeah. jokes a day. We wrote the joke. <laughs> The joke was red square, and the answer the question was, "What do you call that blob on Gorbachev's head?" And because Gorbachev yeah, had a red yeah. birthmark on his head, and we, I know it was, we knew it was a terrible joke. We're yeah. just hitting a quota, but somehow that yeah. made the cut. And Carson goes yeah. on the air, does red square, and it bombed <laughs> so bad. I mean, it just played to utter yeah. silence. It was just like shock. Right. So. Okay, I bombed really bad. And then six months later, he's doing Karnak again. And through some terrible clerical error, they give him red square, oh. Gorbachev's head. And he does it again, and it got this giant <laughs> laugh. And that was, it was such an important moment in my career right. where I go, you never know what people are going to laugh yeah. at. Yeah, different audience. <laughs> different audience. I mean, it was like a lab experiment, yeah. though. Same setting, same actor, same basic right. demographic audience. One day they hate it, and one day they love it. And, I mean, the shock is that they loved it, because there's nothing funny about right. that joke. Yeah. So then, after Gary Shaman took a hiatus, you got your current job, The Simpsons. I'm afraid we don't have time for oh, The yeah, Simpsons. Exactly. I know people aren't tuning right, yeah. in for that anyhow. Check out yeah. next week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did get to work at the Simpsons. I was on a break from Gary Shandling's show, the next to the lowest rated show on TV. And we get a call from, I think, Sam Simon saying, yeah. we're doing this show this summer, The Simpsons. You want to work on it? And I go, I said, why are you calling me? And he said, because everyone else has turned it down. <laughs> so we took the job and it just, a lot of people turned it down. And uh, I know... I think it was Jay Kogan, the one writer mm -hmm. we've ever had on the show right. who's the son of another comedy writer. His father said, don't do this. This is a right. career killer. I, you know, there hadn't been a cartoon in primetime mm -hmm. in 30 years. Songs, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, and it was on Fox, which had just yeah. started up and had a very uh, skanky <laughs> reputation. Yeah. 
so we did the show that summer. It was just a summer job, and I thought it would be nothing more than that. Just thinking, well, nobody's going to watch yeah. this. Let's just have some fun. And, like, obviously the animation was, like, a little crude. You know, sort of, like, it the voices were a little bit different. The voices was black. Yes. <laughs> All those yeah. things. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and in fact, I mean, the, the, the great story, of course, is that We'd made a, we made 13 of them yeah. before we ever saw a right. finished episode. And, you know, nobody even knew how to make a weekly animated yeah. show. Nobody had done it since yeah. the Flintstones. And so we're making it up as we go along. And so uh, the great story is that the first episode yeah. came back and it was horrible. Yeah. It wasn't funny. Yeah. It looked really weird. The, the animators thought the script was no good yeah. and so put a lot of their own jokes into it. And it was unwatchable, and The Simpsons nearly got canceled before it ever debuted, and uh, and that was it. We were in deep trouble till the second episode came back a week later. Came back from Korea, where it's animated, and that one was a gem. And uh, I think it's Bart. Bart gets an F. No, it's Bart goes. Bart the genius. Where oh, okay. Bart right. Goes to the genius school. Well, yeah. And that came back really great, and we said, "Okay, maybe we got a show here." Yeah, because Mart Marge didn't have a name at first, right? Yeah, and there, Lisa was totally different. Her Lisa, the first line we ever wrote for Lisa is, "Let's go throw rocks at the, at the swans." All right, at Mr. Burns's party. And, and yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Lisa was just a boy, was a girl bard. Yeah. Marge was called Mom mm. at the time. There are all these T-shirts yeah. that just call her Mom. Mm. She didn't have a name. It was funny too. We're all we're writing the whole first season. Uh, several writers writing at once, so all the characters yeah. had different names. And Al and I called Mr. Burns Mr. Meanie, okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, and uh, Jay Cogan called Marge Juliet. He okay. thought, oh, won't that be cute, like Romeo yeah, and Juliet? Juliet. And uh, so there there was no cohesion or consistency to the, those early scripts right. at all. So how did they kind of like wrangle that in? It was all like it all went. There was no staff per se. Yeah. It was all uh, it was all just uh, Sam Simon and right. Matt Groening going yeah. over the scripts, and then that was part of Al and my job. We'd come in, I think, just like two days a week and do a very quick rewrite, just sort of pulling the shows together. Right. But it was very light work, considering you know we work hundreds of hours on every episode now. You know. Every script currently on The Simpsons goes through a month of rewrites. And uh, at the time, it was like two, three hours. We would just go, all right, that's good enough, yeah. good enough. Now, I know like it took like, about nine, ten months to do an episode. Correct. And now, since with HD and everything like that, it's all computer generated? It still yeah. takes nine, so months. nine months. It is not sped up at all. Right. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a nine-month process. Uh, it's the animation that takes mm. the long. It's two yeah. months. We go, we write a script, we rewrite it for a month, we record it. Uh, then they do storyboards, mm. like a 300-page mm. comic book version of the show. Uh, and then they animate that. They marry that comic book to our audio track mm. and make what's called an animatic, a very rough black-and-white version of the show. And we watch that. We watch that in a room, and it's barely a show. Right. And uh, it looks like cave paintings. Yeah. And we rewrite from that. We'll change 30% of yeah. the script, 
We sent her off to Korea. I can see you're getting bored already. Oh, no, no. Everyone wants to know how we make the show. And then it's just the process. It's like how yeah. a bill becomes law. Well, yeah. All right. Let's, yeah. let's just get rid of the immigrants. You know, <laughs> yeah. who cares how we do it? But then we rewrite it. It's another two months because it's 24,000 hand-drawn drawings wow. forever. It's not computerized. Right. We've never computerized the process just because it works yeah. it's working for us so we uh keeps we, people in business keeps <laughs> them in business yeah. yeah hundreds and hundreds of korean children <laughs> yeah drawing the simpsons <laughs> um and that's it and then we rewrite it a little when it's in full color right. but that's the process nine months and so Everyone calls this this topical show. It's the biggest mistake. They always go, what a topical show. Yeah. Oh, they're always making fun of what's in the headlines. It's like, no, we're not. No. It's a nine-month-old show. Right. We're making fun of what happened a year ago. Yeah. Well, it's not like, say, South Park that does right. it, you know, the week of, and then it's all topical. There was one episode when they went to the Super Bowl. Yes. And I remember, because that was kind of topical, because they were at Moe's Bar, and they put the hand over, you know, the right. Atlanta Falcons and all that. So that was kind of entertaining there. <laughs> yes, we we pushed it that way. We would do. Yeah. I forget how we did it. I know we we would loop in the names okay. of the teams yeah. right at the last minute, and we would even. I think we'd call a winner the Super Bowl mm-hmm. every year. It was it was the Lisa helps Homer. I think bet on the oh, Super Bowl. Lisa it's Greek. it's yeah. very yeah very early episode, and then it would rerun every mm-hmm. year on Super Bowl season, mm-hmm. and we. Change the names right. of the teams, so it was just a little bit of dubbing, and I think we always called the Super Bowl right. And it was funny because we have all these gamblers on the show. We used to have a bookie okay. at the show. I mean, that yeah, they just love. And I know nothing about sports, but I always say, "Well, just pick the favorite. Yeah. Who's the favorite? That's right. who's going to win right. the Super Bowl." I knew nothing, but right. that was all we did, and it was yeah. always right. Yeah. It shows you. How how little there really is the sports Sport. betting. Yeah, and now it's going to be legal. So yeah, putting time those, to make my yeah, fortune. Putting those poor bookies out of business. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after Sam left the show, yes, Sam Simon. How different was like the room and everything? It was, you know, Sam. Um, it was hard. I think the, um, you know, he ran a tight show. He was just the master. Yeah. I would say I've never met anyone so accomplished at show running right. he just he he was like an orchestra conductor and then uh he left the show uh to go on and because of the success of the mm-hmm. simpsons they gave jim brooks a giant deal mm-hmm. at abc to make shows and they put sam in charge of that company so he had mm-hmm. to move on and uh they put alan me in charge mm-hmm. who had never run anything right. who had <laughs> never run i i said the the biggest thing I'd ever run to that point was a dishwasher (laughs) and uh, we were scared to death and all we could do was throw work at it just work hard 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 and just motivated by constant fear we didn't want to wreck this beloved American institution so I know the staff was a little shocked they were used to getting out at five o'clock every day and suddenly uh, they were working till eight or ten at night and they didn't realize they would they'd go home at ten grumbling, and then Al and I would do the work that showrunners do and work till two in the morning, and we'd be back at eight the next morning. It was it was so hard, and uh, 
you know, I, I love those guys. I love being in that room full of writers, but wow, did I hate running the show. And I gained 70 pounds during the two years I ran the show. And I was praying. I said, give me a heart attack. If you can imagine that. I said, I hope I get a heart attack. That'll get me a few weeks right. off the show. Because it was just so such hard work. So you basically became like King Size Homer. I did become <laughs> King Size Homer. It became very easy yeah. to write for Homer because I right. got it. There was a joke we did on the critic that the people, <laughs> and I know we'll get to the critic sooner or later, uh, just about that the critic kept breaking toilet seats. Yeah. So he said, I think the boss said, I'm tired of your toilet yeah. seat breaking butt. And that was me. Yeah. I broke a toilet <laughs> seat with my fat yeah. ass. Oh. <laughs> So, like, for those like who don't, really don't know, what it does like the showrunner do? The showrunner basically does mm. everything. I mean, you it's always a job for mm. a writer, and you supervise the writing. And on a show like The Simpsons, mm. that means someone writes the mm. script, and then six, eight people sit in a room going over it a line at a time. Mm. And the showrunner determines oh what's the best story and how do we make the story better and then what do we have to fix in the script so you do all those things which at least all right you're trained for but then you do you have to direct the actors which you're not a director and you have to go over storyboards and designs which again you're not trained for and then you edit the soundtrack and then you edit picture then you work with the music and sound effects people it's basically Every creative decision on the show goes through the showrunner. And so it was so, so hard. But, you know, you learn it. You learn how to do those things. It wasn't until years later, I'm working on a live action show, where it was much worse. Because then they'd come to you, what should the, what, what hairstyle should the teenagers have? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. What should the, they come in with costumes? This yeah. or this, you know, wardrobe. I go, look how I'm dressed. I don't know anything about like, this. Do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, because you don't have to worry about animation. Like, yeah. yeah. Now, there are so many, like, secondary, tertiary characters on the show. Do, like, certain writers write, you know, better for certain, like, those characters? No. Uh, no. The no, answer okay. is really no. Because there's. You didn't ask it exactly. It's the most asked question people have yeah. about it. The Simpsons. They yeah. always go, what character do you write yeah. for? And it's so common, I won't make fun of it, right. but I don't even understand how they think it works. Yeah. Like, does is some guy come in and he's Homer right, every right. day and some other guy yeah. is Marge and right. they just live their yeah. lives? I don't, I don't understand how they think it works. Everybody writes, writes for every character. Yeah. Um, you know... It's harder to write for Marge. We don't relate to her as well, but it's it's very hard to write for Bart. I think Bart is the hardest character yeah. to write for because none of our writers were Bart. They were all Lisa. They were all brainy kids yeah. with no friends, and we don't know what it's like to write for a popular kid. And we were able to write for bullies very well yeah. just because we all were bullied, and so that's it. But yeah. Homer is easy because yeah. we're all Homer now. Right. We're a bunch of fat, <laughs> angry guys yeah. who hate our jobs. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because yeah, um, when the first the show first started, Bart was like the main character, right? You know everything. with don't have a cow. All the t-shirts, and that kind of transitioned to really Homer. Homer, yeah. Homer yeah. was definitely what we all gravitated towards. Yeah. He 
for many reasons. One, he's an adult. He gets yeah. to do things adults do. Uh, the other thing is just, he's, he's just any comedy writer's mm-hmm. dream. He has everything wrong mm-hmm. with him. He's fat and bald <laughs> and ugly and stupid and he's an alcoholic mm-hmm. and he has anger mm-hmm. issues and he's lazy. I, I really, mm-hmm. it hit me one day. He has all seven <laughs> deadly sins. Um, and then season four, Al and I wrote a joke where Homer walks into a pet shop and the owner goes, what is that terrible smell? And George Meyer goes, oh, I guess Homer smells oh, now. <laughs> now, the show, you were the showrunner for yeah. three, you know, Two three years. and four, yeah. which everyone says probably the best seasons. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Michael Jackson episode was one of them. Right. Um, what was that experience like meeting the King of Pop? The King of Pop, and yeah, people have to remember... It, we were meeting the King of Pop when he was mm. the biggest yeah. thing in the universe. And literally, nobody has been as big as yeah. Michael Jackson right. was back then. Nobody, you know, the Beatles were that yeah. big, Elvis was that big, but nobody since. And he calls and said, I want to do The Simpsons. Yeah. And we go, okay. And it was all hands on yeah. deck. Everyone right. had to come up with stories. And Jim Brooks finally pitched out the story we yeah. wound up doing where. Homer goes, he pitched the whole thing. In fact, Homer yeah. goes to the mental hospital and meets a mental patient who thinks he's Michael he's Jackson. Leon from Patterson, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. So, and Al and I had to write the script at the same time we're running the show. So that right. script was written at 11 at night is when we would start okay. work after everything else was done. Right. And we had zero faith Michael was actually going to do come. the show. We just, and it just seemed like such a fool's errand. But we wrote it, and Michael gave notes, yeah. and his notes were brilliant. Right. And then we went to his manager's house, Sandy Gallon. Everybody in this yeah. story is dead, by the way. <laughs> and Sandy Gallon had a house yeah. so big, he said something I've never heard. He said, yeah. I haven't been to every room in my house. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and we did the reading, and I'm sitting right next to yeah. Michael. And he was so affable, and... Uh, he was strong too. You know, you always yeah. think of him as self-like. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was very muscular, and I thought, oh, Michael Jackson could kick my ass. <laughs> but he was just a nice guy, mm. and he wrote "Lisa, It's Your Birthday." Okay, he wrote right. that song for the episode, and I'm sitting two feet away from him yeah. at the table reading at Sandy Gallon's house, and it was it was just electrifying. And he's singing "Thriller" and yeah. "Ben," all the songs we had in that show. So it was great. And then he came in, did the show. He, uh, his manager had request, made all these demands for okay. Michael's going to need a trailer. It's right. got to be heated to 90 degrees. He needs <laughs> four kinds of bottled water yeah. there and fresh fruit. And then Michael comes in, no entourage, doesn't yeah. go anywhere near the trailer. Right. Just came in. He, was, yeah. he shook hands with everyone. Mm. And he, he recorded his acting which was terrible. Right. And it was Jim Brooks, an Oscar-winning director, yeah. came in to direct him and did the best he could. But he couldn't right. act, but at least he was going to sing. Right. And then when it came time to sing, Michael goes, Kip, could you come in here? And this guy, this little white yeah. guy, Kip Lennon, comes in and sings Michael Jackson's songs. He goes, this is my authorized sound like Kip Lennon. <laughs> And we said, Michael, why are you doing this? He goes, it's a joke on my brothers. And we never understood that. Right. But if you watch that, it's sort of a dark secret. If you watch that show, 
Michael's mm-hmm. acting, Kip Lennon does the singing, mm-hmm. and the great thing is Kip Lennon is actually making fun of Michael mm-hmm. Jackson. It's sort of mm-hmm. a parody of how Michael yeah. sings, and Michael is just laughing, laughing and laughing at this. So next time you see that episode, you'll see it's sort of a yeah. spoof. Right, at least he had a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah he had a just... great sense of humor. It was, uh, it, was yeah. an, it was a lovely experience. Yeah. Of all the like celebrities they've, the show's had, which one was your favorite which one was the most easy to work with which was kind of surprised you was that michael or most difficult that well it was that was a perfect experience it's i mean the amazing thing is i, I forget the number it's something like 652 yeah. guest stars we've had yeah. on the show and there were only three people that nobody liked that yeah. were sort of had attitude yeah. were sort of jerky i can't tell you who they were right. but it was, I think, an actor, an author, and an athlete. Okay. And you can try and figure that out right. from there. But the others were great. They were excited to be on the show. They were great sports. Yeah. They do whatever we told them to do. Uh, so I got no bad stories beyond that. I mean, it was great to meet yeah. Elizabeth Taylor. Right. It was great to have Johnny Carson, the man who'd fired Pardon. me three years before. Did he even like, remember you or not? No, someone okay. had briefed him, yeah. and uh, he. we recorded the show in the mm-hmm. basement. He goes, ah, oh, we're back in the basement again. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, because the, the Carson writers worked in the basement, yeah. but not when I worked for okay. him. So he didn't know who the, yeah. hell he, who the hell I was. But he he did, he did played a good game of it. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth Taylor was electrifying when she came in. and yeah, that's, uh, when, that's when I had Maggie on. That's what she talked about, yeah, just the, the ring that she had on her finger, which is like a massive rock. That was it. It was <laughs> when we wanted Elizabeth Taylor, uh, she said, I'll do the show if you animate my ring yeah. into the show. And we had to write jokes right. for her ring. And I don't know what it was. I think it was some text. Uh, okay. and, you know, her, her ring got work. Right. So I don't know. She could declare it as a dependent. Yeah. I don't know what it was. We... We get these weird demands every once in a while, like when Aerosmith was on the show, yeah. we had to animate their manager into the show, yeah. and then I think they fired their manager, and we had to Take erase them out of yeah. the show. Um, there's yeah, so it was all good. I mean, the the great ones are the the people who were funny that yeah. you don't think will be funny, like uh, MacGyver. What's his name? Oh, Pat, Richard Dean Anderson. Richard Dean yeah. Anderson. Really funny. Right. He came in, he ad-libbed yeah. up a storm. Nobody really ad-libs, yeah. and they're not supposed to, but right. he was funny. Right, yeah. He was funny. Liam Neeson, okay. again, not a guy you think he of as hilarious, right. was really funny. Everybody loved the guy. Yeah. Like one of my favorite episodes, going way back, is Homer at the Bat. Yeah. Know? And all the, you know, the baseball players you had there, How? what was the experience? I know it's in the book, yeah. but the experiences of like them recording their lines, and then he... Pushback from any of the players. Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, we Sam Simon had the idea. Let's get yeah. nine major league right. baseball players to be on Mr. Burns' softball team. And I mean, I thought he was crazy. Yeah. I just said, you know, we're not going to get nine. Can we get three? And yeah. he said, no, we're going to get nine. And I think only two people turned us down. Okay. We got, you know, it was yeah. like rotisserie. Baseball, baseball right? yeah. where the the Simpsons are again. I know nothing about right. sports. I just sit this yeah. whole thing out while they draft their favorite team, mm-hmm. and they all love baseball so much on the show. And we pick these guys, and uh, but then when it came time to direct them, 
everyone was intimidated okay. and I didn't know who they were. Right, I didn't right. know who. So I got to direct them all. Yeah. I got to act with them because okay. I had to feed them yeah. lines. And so again, I mean, I'm sure it was a, a great experience, but they could have been anybody to me. And they're all, you know, one thing about ball players you don't even think about is they're used to being on mic. They're always getting yeah. interviewed. And so they were all very comfortable mm -hmm. behind the mic, except Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. He was the one, we had given him the line, there's a, there's a party in my mouth and yeah. everyone's invited. Right. I wrote that line, <laughs> by the way. And he just couldn't get it. Yeah. And Ken Griffey Sr. Okay. came to watch right. him. And he's going, come on, boy, you can do it. <laughs> Which I'm sure just added to the pressure yeah. for him. And uh, we finally got it out of him. Yeah. And... Um, even he appeared, I think, in the documentary about 25 years later, right. Homer at the Bat. And then he'd become a great actor by that mm. time. He was very funny in the document. Right. He was had a little trouble with this vaguely homoerotic oh, line we had written for him. Yeah. And I think, like, of all, all the nine players, I'm a big Yankee fan. Eventually, I think seven of the nine players ended up playing for the Yankees. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess that's that's like massive gravity. Yeah, yeah. it was like Mike Sosha, I think, Ozzy Smith were the only two who didn't play. I remember uh, Mike Sosha. One of them yeah. was a hilarious actor. Okay. Every once in a while, yeah. you know, everyone was competent. Yeah. But I think it was Mike Sosha was so funny. And you see how what a random yeah. gift it is when we recorded Aerosmith. Oh, Right now, I'm, embarrassed. I'm about to praise the guy. I can't remember his yeah. name. Brad Hamilton, Tom Hamilton. One of those guys yeah. could have been a professional cartoon actor. Right. He was so funny. And the rest of them were themselves. Yeah. And they're fine. Yeah. So after taking a little break, you decided to do the critic. We did the critic. Well, yeah, you, you, you announced it, right? Al and I, yes. Yeah. We, we left The Simpsons. Again, yeah. two years was all... We right. could physically yeah. do running that show. Yeah. And we got into a development deal with Jim Brooks, James Brooks, yeah. to come up with TV shows for him. And he came to us one day. He says, I want to do a show about the makeup woman at the Today Show. Okay. And, <laughs> you know, I'm like, uh, nothing about that appeals yeah. to us. <laughs> but we... We're thinking about it, and the only thing that excited us was to do was the Gene Shalla character. Right, we right. liked doing a funny movie yeah. critic on the Today Show, and we're pitching that back to Jim Brooks. He goes, "What about John Lovitz? Do you know? Yeah. Or are you familiar with him?" And it's like, well, "Yeah, we've had him on The Simpsons three right. times." So he said, "I think he could be funny as the critic." Now, mind you, the important thing is. This was going to be a live-action show. Okay. <laughs> John Lovitz as a movie critic, a live-action sitcom. And we wrote the whole thing, which we did, especially working with a veteran like Jim Brooks, we did the stupidest thing you could do, which was to write the whole show for John Lovitz. Right. And then we presented to him and said, you're going to do this show. And he goes, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm a movie star. Yeah. And he just made a league of their own. Right. He had three more movies lined up. So he had no intention of doing this, doing a sitcom. And so the meeting is over, and he's leaving the room. And I said, what if it's a cartoon? Because then we could work around your schedule. And he goes, okay. And it was, I, so I think it's, it's the only animated show in history that the last creative decision was to make it a cartoon. And, you know, in hindsight, I don't know how we could have done it live action with all those 
the movie parodies yeah. and cutaways and that kind of thing. So thank God it happened that way. Yeah, and because I think that was like the first animated show on like the big three networks. Since yes, the, since the Flintstones, right? Uh, you know, it wasn't. Not to oh, correct no, you, because there were many quick duds. Oh, okay. There were Capital Critters and okay. Fish Police. It was funny. You know, all the networks said. Simpsons is a hit. Yeah. Why don't we do one? And then they do these stupid shows about animals. They do, you know, Hanna Barbera kind of show, yeah. Fish Police, and the Stephen Bochco, a drama writer, okay. says I'm going to do a funny cartoon yeah. show about animals in the White House. And you know, we we just came and said let's yeah. do a different kind of Simpsons, and uh, so they did it, and. Uh, yeah, and we, Jim Brooks had this deal with ABC that said, whatever Jim Brooks brings you, you have to do 22. You can't say right. no. So we said, all right, we want to do an animated show about John Lovitz as a movie critic. And they said, no. no. <laughs> they just wouldn't do yeah. it. And we finally talked them down to 13 episodes. And we did the critic, and they, mm. they were very supportive and... The show debuted to, to huge ratings, and then the next week, nobody oh. came back. It was just not an ABC show. And then went to Fox. And then it went to Fox, yeah. where it was a big hit, again, and yeah. stayed a hit. It was the most successful show. They tried nine yeah. different shows after The Simpsons. Nothing ever right. worked. Nothing. They would all lose the yeah. audience. And uh, we came on after... The Simpsons, and we're a hit week after week. But between the time of selling it to Fox and coming on mm. Fox, which again nine month yeah. period to animate it, uh, Fox changed presidents, and it's a very common thing, yeah. I'm afraid, in TV that a new president comes in doesn't want anything from the old regime. Mm. So we were finally the critic was a hit. We had a happy home, and this this guy, the new president mm. of Fox, just. Hated the show, would call me every week. I hated this week's episode. Mm -hmm. He canceled it as soon as he could. I don't know, right. after six or eight episodes, he replaced it with his own show called The House of Buggin'. Okay. I'm sure you remember that. No, but okay. <laughs> so, so that was it. Yeah. That was our, our tenure. It was, it was very, you know, it felt like a terrible blow to yeah. finally make a, a successful show. But, it, We'd gotten a second. We'd gotten a second chance, which nobody gets. So right. to have it taken away from us wasn't all that bad. Yeah. And we even had, we had a third chance. The UPN was okay. starting up, and right. another brand new network. And they said, "We'll do the critic." We're so yeah. excited! All right, we're going to do the critic. They said, "But we want it to be a children's show. We want it to focus on the critic's right. son." And his school, and we don't want to do those movie parodies. And I said no. And I, yeah. I think Al would have done it. I just said no. I can't, I can't keep changing the show, yeah. and I don't want to be canceled on three networks in three years. So we let it go. And then, just so you know, we did a fourth version of the critic, which was, uh, it was during the dot com boom in, the, okay. in yeah. two thousand. We made ten, I think. Three minute shows for the yeah. internet. Three, three, and I'm sure they're online right. somewhere. Ten three minute critic episodes. We got the yeah. whole cast back, did these short cartoons, and if, I hope this isn't a boring story, which was no. <laughs> the whole reason, the excitement yeah. of doing it for the internet in flash animation, yeah. sort of cheap, quickie yeah. animation, was 
it could finally be timely. You know, the critic, we'd write it, and again, it would be nine months later, and we never knew what movie's the parody, what would be a flop, what would be remembered nine months later. Here they said, a movie will be in theaters, and a week later, your critic will be on the air making fun of it. We go, great. So we made these 10 episodes, and they just sat on a shelf for a year, and no one ever explained it to me. We said, why is it sitting on a shelf for a year? We're debugging it. So that was it. And then these just these 10 yeah. episodes unrolled right. a year later. We're making fun of movies like Blink that nobody remembered. <laughs> right. And uh, that was it. So the critics always kept getting a raw oh, deal. Man. And people are calling us all the time now to reboot yeah. it. Now it's like, sure, bring it back. Yeah. It was ahead of its yeah. time. Let's do it now. Lovitz would love to do it. Right. He would love to do it. Live action again, but uh, you know, it would have to be Al Jean and me, and yeah. Al's running The Simpsons, and I'm a little tired of the whole thing. And also, uh, just there's nobody like the critic anymore. Yeah. This was that we made it in the heyday of Siskel and Ebert. Right. There's no, no TV critics on the air anymore. Half our cast is dead, yeah. I'm afraid. Our, everybody's favorite characters on the critic are dead. Yeah. So now, like, there's so many, like, animated shows everywhere. Do you right. watch any of them? Uh, you know, no. Right. The answer, <laughs> I don't like them. I guess yeah. I don't like animation. Uh, there's a few I've never watched. Mm. Some of them, like, I'll watch Adventure Time, okay. and all I can think is, oh, this was such hard work. Mm. Oh, right. I can never get away. When a well, show yeah. is work-intensive, I go, oh, I can't watch Modern Family mm. for the same reason. I go, Oh, this looks so hard to do. You know, it's the producer and me. Yeah. Uh, the show I love is Family Guy. I think that's so funny. And Family Guy shocks me the way right. The Simpsons used to shock yeah. everybody's mother. But I would go into work at Simpsons and I'd pitch a joke and then I go, wait, did I think of that or I take it from Family Guy? So I've had to stop watching Family yeah. Guy. Uh, but that was the. I think that's the only one I really right. like. I'll say I don't like. I'll say it. I don't right. like South Park. Okay. I don't like Archer. Right. Uh, I, I don't think you know BoJack Horseman. I've yeah. seen and sometimes it's great and yeah. sometimes it's lousy. I probably shouldn't have said any of that. Yeah, but there you right. go. <laughs> I like Family Guy. Yeah. Now, when you guys did the crossover, uh, what well, was like a big to do? I'm sure. Was there like factions of your writers? Like, I don't want to do this. That was, if, if you'd asked me even up a year before that happened, I, I would not have believed how it yeah. happened, which was Family Guy came to us, said, we want to do a crossover with The Simpsons. Now, Simpsons, they, especially the boss, Jim Brooks, Matt yeah. Green, they cared deeply about anything with The Simpsons' name on it. I was telling that story about ALF merchandise. Yeah. Simpsons' merchandise is always... Of good quality. It's always clever. We make our own writers work on it. We care about the product. So Family Guy says, we want to do a crossover with Simpsons. And Jim Brooks and Matt Green just go, oh, great. We'll see it when it comes on the air. (laughs) They had virtually nothing to do with it. We just trusted Family Guy to treat the show well. And uh, it helped that the showrunner at Family Guy worked at The Simpsons for okay. years, Rich Appel. And they did the episode, and we loved it. I think Seth MacFarlane 
was the only guy yeah. who had problems with it because okay. the whole theme of that hour episode was everything Family Guy does, they stole oh, from yeah. The Simpsons. Yeah. So it was a great, you know, mea culpa by Family right. Guy, which I don't know is not exactly true. You know, they didn't steal everything from us. They're similar but yeah. different enough. And in fact, the Simpsons writers complain. They make two complaints yeah. about Family Guy. They go, they stole everything yeah. from us yeah. and... They do things we would never do. And it's like, well, which is it? Yeah, can't pick. <laughs> now, you mentioned merchandise before. Um, there's a ton of it. I have all the figures and you know, the play sets. Um, what's like Notice the... we're sitting in my apartment. I don't have any I... of it. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't have any of that stuff. And do you have a Clifford, though? A what? It's Clifford? not even a Clifford. Oh, Clifford. That's okay. a knockoff Clifford. Oh, okay. <laughs> Clifford or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, <laughs> speaking of like the merchandise, like, yeah. um, what's like the most outrageous thing you've seen? Like, you know, if you travel a lot traveling yeah. throughout the world or even like, you know, in this country. It's, we certainly love, Matt Groening loves the bootlegs. And okay. His office, at least, used to be just packed with the worst bootleg right. Simpsons merchandise ever. Yeah. I just got, I was just in Nepal and I got this Simpsons t-shirt mm. as Bart climbing Mount Everest <laughs> and it, it it looks nothing mm. like Bart. His yeah. mouth especially is this bright red gash right. <laughs> and it looks like he's coughing up blood. So I like, I like yeah. that. I love <laughs> the bootleg stuff. There's yeah. a, a great story. The first year of The Simpsons the bootlegs were so huge. There were so, I may be making the number up, but I think they, they'd impounded 35 million wow. bootleg wow. Simpsons t-shirts. And they said, well, what do we do with them? And there was the idea, well, let's mm. give them to Ethiopia. Yeah. Let's give them right. shirts. They can have. They don't have to run around naked. Yeah. <laughs> and then somebody said, how's that going to look if it's a, a nation full of starving people wearing bad yeah. Bart Simpsons yeah. t-shirts? So... I think they burned them all or pulped them, whatever you do with T-shirts. The the only bad Simpsons merchandise I remember coming in was um, Matt Groening came in with the Simpsons chess set, okay. the prototype yeah. of the Simpsons chess set, and you know you know Homer, Marge are king and queen, and Bart might have been the bishop, mm. and the pawns were Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so you would buy this, the Simpsons chess set, yeah. and it would have been 16 mill houses, <laughs> or mill heist. Right. So that was the only thing we go, no, Bart's got to be the pawn. You're going to want to have yeah. 16 Barts. Yeah, well, it made sense, because, like, you know, mill house is pretty much Bart's pawn anyway. He is a pawn yeah. now. It works symbolically, but it yeah. just, it's just bad work. optics. It's, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> now... After you left the Simpsons, or uh, were you working on the Simpsons when you did a... Uh, Yes. Um, no. no. I, I, when I, there, we, I'll bet we won't even get into it, which is good. Yeah. After the critic, Al and I yeah. went to Disney and uh, we just sort of spun our right. wheels there for a while. We finally created a show called Teen Angel, okay, which, right. which just didn't work yeah. out. It was just, just so compromised and interfered with mm. and derivative and. You know, it's a show I created that I couldn't bear to watch. <laughs> and so I was 38 years old, and I yeah. just quit. I quit TV. Al went right okay. back to The Simpsons. Simpsons. I think he never wanted to leave. Yeah. And I quit, and I thought I wouldn't write again. And then I started writing children's books. And then uh, 
this company started up, Icebox.com. Okay. It was during the dot-com right. boom where people would write, every day they would air an original yeah. three-minute cartoon. And I said, all right, if nobody's going to... And yeah. that was it. They didn't offer money. They just right. said, uh, they said, whatever you write, we'll put on. Yeah. There won't be any creative interference. And I go, great. Perfect. And I... It's a great lesson that that writers would rather have control than money, or at least good writers and yeah. real genuine writers. So, I created first a, a cartoon called Hard Drinking Lincoln, right. uh, which was very popular. And then I just I had an epiphany, which I've never the only yeah. epiphany I ever right. had. I go, I don't like how we treat gay people in America. Mm. This is the year two thousand, and I think Colorado had just passed the law. Saying gay mm. people cannot teach school. Right. It was just horrible. Yeah. And uh, so I said, I want to create, as it's my medium, I'm going to create a cartoon for gay people. I'm going to create a gay Bugs mm. Bunny. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Well, yeah. and, uh, and I proposed this to the people at Icebox. And I said, look, if you want a gay cartoon writer, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of them. Yeah. And they said, no, you can write it. Um, but for, but so I created Queer Duck, and uh, they said, you've just got to cast a gay person as yeah. Queer Duck. Queer Duck, by the way, was a saying when I was a kid. They would, people would say, he's a queer yeah. duck. And it didn't yeah. mean gay. It just right. meant, there's an odd fellow. Yeah. So that's why he was a duck. And so... And you made him Jewish, too. And I made him <laughs> Jewish. Yeah, it just, I just, yeah. it was... You know, it was the first thing I'd ever written on my own. Everything had been with Al Jean right. up to that point. And I was just having fun with it. And it was the first time in, and the only time in my career where the, the cliches of the characters were talking to me. Mm -hmm. Every day I couldn't wait to see right. what the characters would do. And I don't know. I found it was very easy to write for these gay characters, <laughs> yeah. steep myself in the gay world. And... Uh, the true testimony of it. Well, anyway, I, I made Queer Duck. It came on the Icebox uh, website and crashed the website. Okay. It was so instantly right. popular. Traffic increased 500% right. that day. So there was a need for it. There was, again, you have to remember, 2000, there were no, there, it was another thing I had read. There are, no, there were no gay characters on television. And now there's plenty. Of course, yeah. Uh, so there was such a need that uh, the website crashed three days later. I think a reporter from Germany right. flew over to interview me. Um, and I sort of had yeah. to stay in the closet as a straight man. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't want it to look like I was making fun of gay right. people. But it, that was it. It was very, very popular for a year. Uh, and then the, the company folded. Then I think I did some yeah. more for Showtime. And then we made a Queer Duck movie. And... It just pleased the tar the people yeah. I wanted to please so much, and sure, people liked it too. It yeah, I, I, I loved it. And uh, did you ever hear any feedback from Dr. Laura? No, <laughs> no, I never. I, yeah, she was a great target on the show. Yeah. Uh, no, only good thing. The the only bad experience I had was right off the bat because yeah. I'd written this thing. I was very worried that. It came off. It might come off mm. badly, and they said you have to, you can, you have to audition gay actors for Queer Duck, and there were very few out okay. gay actors at that time. But the first guy who came in is Scott Thompson oh, from Kids, Kids in the, in the Hall. Hall, yeah. And he walks and he goes, 
the nerve of you. How dare you? He yelled at me for 20 minutes. And, right. you know, I was a good kid. I'd never yeah. been yelled at that long in my life. Yeah. And then he, he made a vaguely yeah. anti-Semitic right. remark about my big Jewish yeah. nose. And, but then he went yeah. in and auditioned for Queer Duck. He still <laughs> wanted the gig. Right. And, uh, and he would have he would have gotten the part. He was very funny, but he was so mad. Queer Duck sounded really mad. And then my friend, two days later, went to a comedy club, and Scott Thompson was there doing stand up. But his whole act was this Jewish guy just came in and blah blah blah. Queer Duck, and uh, I felt terrible. But then the second guy who came in was Jim J. Bullock, who was just a dream. I just I loved the guy, and he was the character, and brought so much to it. So that was it, and from then on, it was just just the happiest yeah. thing I've done in my career. Yeah, you, you can't think of like Queer Duck without Jim J. Bullock. He, yeah, he was made for that role, and just <laughs> he is that guy, yeah, man. And Sal Harris's mother nailed it. It was it was, it was really good. And yeah, then, people look them up. Those are all yeah, they're all on YouTube illegally. Uh, <laughs> and I think that we made the Queer Duck yeah. movie, which I, I'm just so proud of, and. Uh, that again, super illegally is yeah. on YouTube, but it's a nice print. Yeah, watch it. <laughs> but now um, I have just a couple more minutes, but yes. I got still so much more to get to. Um, now you went back to The Simpsons. Uh, you live in New York. I'm not going to give your address away. Yes. But <laughs> so, how was like that? Like, kind of obviously you travel, you know, to California, but you've kind of come up with a nice balance to do that yeah that was you know i lived in la for 25 years because that's where my work was and i hated it every (laughs) single day i just you know i won't knock it i'll just say it's not for me right i literally never had two days in a row where i go hey this place Mm -hmm. is okay and uh so about 12 years ago, I went back to The Simpsons, and they said, come mm-hmm. in two days a week. And I go, great. And then they said, uh, come in one day a week. Right. So maybe I wasn't doing such yeah. a great job. And then I, it, it just hit me. I go, why am I living in L.A. when I only have to be here one day a week? And my wife said, well, you complain the least in New York. Why don't we move to New York? And besides, The Simpsons yeah. isn't going to run forever. Right. So I moved to New York, and I every Wednesday, that's the day I show up at The Simpsons. Tuesday night, I fly from New York to L.A. I work one day at The Simpsons. Yeah. I get out 8, 10 o'clock yeah. at night and fly back on a red-eye yeah. to New York. And it's insane. I have a 6,000-mile commute. I have one night every week where I don't. I have to sleep on an airplane. Mm-hmm. But I love it. I love yeah. living in New York, and I love my Simpsons job. After 30 years, it's still just the most fun and so rewarding and so supportive. And you must really love New York if you have to do JFK or LaGuardia each week. Yeah, know? I do Newark, which oh, is okay, yeah. half an hour away right. from here. <laughs> I got it down to a science. There was one day yeah. I'm sitting on an airplane, and the... Stewardess comes up and goes, here's your rum and Diet Coke. And I go, oh, great. And I'm drinking. I go, wait, I didn't order, order this. She goes, you order it every week. <laughs> now, <laughs> two more Simpsons things. The sure. movie, you actually were one of the writers on that, right? Yes, I was. Now, fabulous movie. Um, I'm not going to ask the simple question why it took so long. But how do they determine like which writers were going to write on it? Uh, the, I don't want to make fun of Jim Brooks. I always mm-hmm. said... Jim Brooks 
chose the writers he knew the names of. <laughs> but it, it is something. Yeah. It's all the showrunners yeah. who had run the show worked on it, except for Oakley and Weinstein, yeah. I think, who were on another project. Right. It was all the. It, it was very logical. It was. It's uh, so it's me and Al Jean and Mike Scully, uh, and David Merkin, all the showrunners. Yeah. Plus George Meyer was just a yeah. very revered, right. you know, comic yeah. talent, and then John Vitti and John Swartzwelder, who've written the most Simpsons mm-hmm. episodes ever. So a very nice team yeah. put together, and I've never been part of something so professional right. in my life. Considering it's a bunch of comedy writers, yeah. we'd come in at ten in the morning mm-hmm. and just work. There was no, we'd never go off topic. Yeah. We never, we just write this thing. And the way we even wrote it was we worked out the story as a group, and then I think there were seven of us, and we just broke it into seven chunks and said, all right, everyone, write a chunk, come back in two yeah. weeks, and we'll put it together. And, there, you know, it was a Frankenstein process. Right. There was no reason that should have worked, but that very first stitched together yeah. draft read pretty good. And then we just kept rewriting it, and... I thought by the fifth draft, we had really nailed it. I said, this is a polished, great, yeah. fun script. <laughs> and So the fifth draft yeah. was great. And what aired in movie theaters yeah. was the 165th wow. draft. We just, <laughs> kept in, yeah. just kept working on it. So we're so relieved. You know, we never... The reason there was not a Simpsons movie for 17 years mm-hmm. is we didn't want to do it we said right. what can we give people give we don't give, yeah. give them every week on tv and it was just fox said look they showed us market research yeah. that said the public wants this more than anything so we said we 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 said we'll work on the movie we had an out in the contract yeah. that said we can pull the plug right. on this at any That's time right. and uh but it, it came, it, right. it was a lot of hard work, but the story we came up with in an afternoon, it was it was uh, very yeah. strange. Right, and people remember most Spider-Pig, right? Spider-Pig, Spider-Pig yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For all that all hard that work. work. Great, great plot, uh, great storyline. Great stories, <laughs> nine directors and nine writers, and that's it, this dumb joke that was written at 11 at night. Right. I wasn't even in the room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what people, and that's what the public wants. Right. So it's been on the air for almost 30 years now. What, 630? Yeah. We just, soon? I know, we just did 636. Okay. We just passed Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. And, you know, we've worked on another yeah. 22, so we know we're going to get to 658 50. episodes. It's yeah. weird. There's no more records to set. That right. was, you set, yeah. That was the last record. I don't know what we're shooting for right, now. Right, exactly. And now I guess if you combine all the Lauren Orders, they pass you. But besides <laughs> that, I mean, yeah. So I'll leave you with this. Yeah. Uh, I was bored at work yesterday, and since the show debuted in 1989, yeah. correct, I came up with a couple actors who have had starred in different TV series since, since then um, just to see how many they've starred in. Okay. Because, you know, I was bored at work. Uh, two guys, Robert Urich, who, yeah. you know, Spencer and, you know, Vegas, he died in 2002. So from 89 to 2002, he had one, two, three, four, five, six different TV shows he started. Okay. Uh, let's see if you remember any of these. He started in the show Emerald with Emerald Agassi. What? Yeah. This one's even better. Oh, was, wait. Was it a sitcom it a for sitcom. Emerald? Yeah. Yes, I do remember Okay. That. He was the captain in Love Boat, The Next Wave. 
Right, I do. Okay, the that. Lazarus Man, which I think was like syndicated. No, I it had to be you. Was that a sitcom? Yeah, I think okay. the last Crosswords. Don't know that one. No, I did. And American Dreamer. So I don't know. Okay, what that is. so this guy. These are all top of my head. Someone might have one. Chai McBride, who now is on. Um, I think he's on Hawaii Five O, but he was on Boston Public, stuff like that. He had eleven shows he started. <laughs> See if you know any of these. Obviously, Hawaii. The John Larroquette show he was on. Okay. Yeah, um, I remember you might that. know this. Oh, okay, sure. You, you might know this one because it was on UPN with Homeboys in Outer Space. Yes. Uh, the Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yeah. I know that show very, very well. Yeah. Uh, hilarious comedy about a slave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't last too long, right? No. And not only that, too. we had very talent, a couple of very talented friends right. went on the show as a favor to okay. a friend. Right. And it killed their career. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't expunge Desmond Pfeiffer <laughs> from their record. Right. They didn't work again. That's wow. <laughs> but, I mean, Chai survived. And then he had yeah. Boston Public, uh, Killer Instinct, The Nine, Pushing Daisies, which was a really good show. Okay. Uh, Human Target, Golden Boy, Murder Police, and now he's on Hawaii Five-0. Murder Police? Yeah, I think was that was that... a cartoon he voiced. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I can't count on that. But, yeah, it's just crazy how telling and how lasting The Simpsons has been. You know, over 30 years, and these oh. guys have so many different shows they've hopped on, you know. But there are a couple, there's one show we, it's, yeah. there might be two or three scripts in the history of The Simpsons that have been written and developed right. and never aired. But one was a crossover with 30 something, <laughs> where again, we were sort of punching up, right. punching, uh, punching over our weight yeah. class. 30 something was this beloved hit show, yeah. well regarded. We're, this funny little silly cartoon, and we were we wrote it. We were going to yeah. do it with them, and uh, I think we never got the script right. But it was it was funny. Now nobody remembers thirty something. If you yeah. live through it, you have a vague notion. Right. But otherwise, it would look so vague. It's so lost to the history, the sands of time. And here's yeah. The Simpsons just trudging along. Keeps going, yeah. I keep thinking. I, I literally have this thought, oh, you know, it's about time to reboot The Simpsons. And it's like, oh, no, we're still, still on the air. air. <laughs> You'll take one year off and reboot it. I'm sure the <laughs> Fox will come, hey, let's do The Simpsons again. It's, it's like, certainly, yeah. I never know. I, I Again, I, I never know from year yeah. to year if they're going to want me back. Cause, right. Let's say, you know, some old Jew working one day a week. How essential am I? But uh, I know it's going to go forever yeah. in, in some form or another. Absolutely, as long as FXX keeps showing them. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing when they do those um, marathons. It's like almost three weeks now. Yeah. Straight through, and it's great TV. But Springfield Confidential, June 12th. June 12th is it's, a great book. Well, it's really, it's this kind of thing times 15. It's just yeah, it's every story I have. Great stories and Gravy Walls. <laughs> gravy Walls. You get Gravy Walls. Exactly. Mike, thank you so much for a few minutes today. So much fun. So much fun. Thanks, everybody. And a special thanks to Mike for having me over his apartment. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Reese Writer. The book is Springfield Confidential. It comes out June 12th. It definitely make you laugh. Gravy Walls alone will make you laugh. You can follow me on Twitter at the first TheFirstNoel19. Be sure to like the page for Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had with all the great guests, including Mike now. And please rate and review the show. Special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do it without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Reliving My Youth real soon. <laughs>